Well, you might have noticed Pastor Mark is on vacation this morning, and we were led in worship by Alan and Matthew. How about we encourage them and give them a round of applause? Isn't that encouraging? You had a high school student lead you in worship today, huh? How about that? Yeah. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Pastor Mark's been uh, working a, uh, a lot on just raising up leaders and getting people who are capable of doing that, and so it's uh, very encouraging to see him making disciples like that. Uh, well, I wanted to give you a quick update on my eye. Uh, if you haven't been around, I've a couple weeks ago shared with you that I have a bad infection in my right eye. It was pretty serious two weeks ago, and they were testing me for stuff, and so it, it actually, as of right now, it's 98% healed. How about that? 98%. Yeah, so that means you just have to increase your prayers this week by 2%, and that should get us over the final. uh, (laughs) Yeah, but it was great news from the doctor. It was scary. So I appreciate you. For those of you who have been just praying for me, thinking about me, I believe the Lord uh, walked me through that and um, has really just brought about healing naturally through the course of time and medicine. So I'm praising the Lord for that. Um, But that's great news. Well, as you know, we've been going through the teachings of Christ. Just imagine for a moment... You, in a small group of four or five people, sitting with Jesus, and imagine you get to ask him any question about anything. What would make your list of like top five questions that you would want to ask him? I think, I think a question that should be on that list is, hey, uh, how is the world going to end? Don't you think that's a pretty good question to be able to ask Jesus? The disciples actually got to ask him just that. They got to ask him about how things are going to end. Um, and so Jesus is going to teach us about that in the next three weeks. But you're probably already aware of this, but when it comes to how the world's going to end, a lot of people have a lot of opinions, and conspiracy theorists are constantly trying to get us ready for the end of the world, right? Do you know that, in fact, over the past five years, we've had some close calls, Mr. Harold Camping uh, predicted that there was going to be tremendous earthquakes and a rapture May 21st, 2011. In fact, he went on tour to try and prepare everybody for May 21st, 2011. And then guess what? The day came, the day went, no major disasters. So what did he do? Admit that he was wrong? No, he rescheduled it for October 21st, 2011. The new end of the world is October 21st. And then guess what? That day came, that day went, no end of the world. Whoo! Maybe you remember December 21st of 2012 when it was supposed to be the Mayan apocalypse. Remember this? The Mayan calendar ran out. And so, you know, historians will, will tell us that the Mayans actually weren't teaching that. It was conspiracy theorists grabbing the Mayan calendar and using it to freak everybody out. Well, hey, it was still an interesting story that made headlines. Uh, allegedly, December 21st of 2012, when the Mayan calendar ran out, the Earth was supposed to collide with an asteroid, and then aliens, perhaps lying in wait, were going to come and invade and then live in our planet. But guess what? It didn't happen. Whew! Now, not to be outdone by the Mayans, did you know that on February 12th of this year, there was supposed to be a Viking apocalypse? Had you heard about that one? Yeah, I'm not kidding. Uh, There was supposed to be an epic battle between the gods, including Odin and Thor and Loki, and the entire world was going to sink beneath the waves and all humans were going to die except for two. Two humans were then going to rise up from the underworld and repopulate the earth. 
well, it makes a better movie than it does a reality because it didn't really happen, uh, but thankfully we can still watch Thor fight in the heavens in the movie theaters. Hey, many people will come along and say, the world's going to end and here's how. The world's going to end and here's how. Jesus told his disciples how the world was going to end. But here's the thing. We're going to take three weeks and talk about this topic. The whole point of week number one is, when they first ask him about it, the whole point, what Jesus tries to say is, there's going to be some false alarms. So the point today is, what isn't going to signal the end of the world? Meaning, these are false alarms. All right, when you see these things, you're not supposed to get all worked up. You're supposed to calm down. So just practice for a moment here. I'm going to get all worked or I'm going to get all worked up. I'm going to be like, guess what, everybody? The end of the world is coming and I know it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. And come on, tell me to, no, you don't understand. I see some things. I know some things. I figured some things out. It's soon. And okay, 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 okay. So the whole point today is calm down. Let's pray. And then Jesus will calm us down. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were willing to address such an amazing topic as the end of the world. And help us to learn about your wisdom, about your plan. Help us to see what is temporary, what is passing away, and help us to see what is eternal and unshakable. We pray for your wisdom, Lord, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Now, those of you who like to study the Bible, you're going to want to write down these two passages, Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Matthew 24 and Luke 21. These three are parallel passages. So you're, ta- you're turning to Mark 13, but uh, Luke and Matthew also record this sermon that Jesus preached. Uh, it's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus preached it sitting on uh, the Mount of Olives just outside Jerusalem, looking down on the temple uh, in like the last days he had here on this planet. So if you want to study these passages, do it this week, and it'll just add a depth to what I'm already preaching on Sunday morning. But here we are in Mark 13, verse 1, where it says this. And as he came out of the temple, that's Jesus, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, What wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is kind of funny. Uh, The temple, it was amazing for the Jews to be able to go to the city of Jerusalem. Be like you taking a trip down to Chicago, seeing all the skyscrapers, going to the best, and then walking out and just looking up and and being overwhelmed and saying, Wow, amazing buildings. That's what's going on here. Jesus is walking out of the temple and one of his disciples turns and says, Wow, Jesus, look at how amazing this temple is. And then Jesus is like, do you see all these stones? And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. And Jesus is like, they're all going to get thrown down. Uh, Talk about bursting his bubble. Like, he's all, this is exciting. No, no, it's all going to get destroyed. Oh, Now, there's many awesome buildings in our day and age, right? Buildings that would impress you and make you feel, wow, check this out. This is a hotel that looks like a sailboat. Um, It's got its own island and its own beach, and it's shaped like a sailboat. Isn't that amazing? And we've got a few other pictures of it here. Uh, But you could stay in a building on its own island that looks like a sailboat. In fact, there's not only the building, there's the building at night. But the building has like a golf hole way up in the air. Check that out. You can, you know, tee off out into the sea 
uh, and, and practice your game up there if you don't get dizzy and fall over. Uh, that's pretty cool. Isn't that an amazing building? So imagine if we were vacationing there and you were, we were walking out and you were like, isn't this the most amazing hotel you've ever been in? And then I say to you, yeah, but it's going to fall over into the sea tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> like talk about bursting your bubble. Jesus was just like, pop. Teacher, do you see what wonderful stones and what wonder? Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, Herod's temple was the most amazing building in the world, practically, at least place of worship. We've got pictures here of kind of recreations or models of the temple, Herod's temple in Jerusalem in Jesus' day. Just look compared to the rest of the city at the sheer size. It was 1.5 million square feet. It was massive. The outer courts could hold uh, tens of thousands of people, and there in the middle is the place of worship where where the priests would do their work. 26 football fields could fit on top of it. The temple was so glorious, they were always upgrading it. But when Jesus shared this sermon, they had already been working on it for 50 years. Okay, it was like Illinois roadways. It was always under construction. 50 years of making it look glorious, and there was another 40 years to go. They were still going to keep working on it and working on it, right? And we've got a couple other pictures here, I think, of the temple. But, uh, oh, today, so here, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, all the stones are going to be thrown down. So if you look at it today, there's a Muslim place of worship, the Dome of the Rock there, and you can see that all that's left is like bare, flat emptiness where the temple once was. Jesus was telling them this was going to happen, and he was telling them in advance that that's what was going to take place. He predicted the future. In A.D. 70, Rome would come to Israel, would destroy the city, and would destroy the temple because there'd be an uprising among the Jews, and so Rome would come and level the whole thing. Jesus predicted the future. That's pretty impressive if you ask me, right? Like if I told you, hey, the Blackhawks are going to win the Stanley Cup, it's going to go to game five, they're going to win six to two, and it's going to be amazing, and that actually played out, you'd be like, how did, yeah. But then you'd be like, wait a minute, how did he know exactly, (laughs) you know, how? Jesus here predicted the future. And it was going to be about 30 or 40 years before what he said would take place. He said every stone was going to be thrown down. Think of the political things that needed to transpire in Israel for there to actually be a full-scale uprising. And then think of what would need to happen for Rome to decide we're going to destroy it all. I mean, when he says all these stones are going to be thrown down, do you know that the, the lighter stones were a few tons? The heavier stones were hundreds of tons. We're talking about throwing around cars and garbage trucks here, okay? And he said all the stones are going to be thrown down. The temple was also beautiful. It was made of white marble stones, gold-plated gates, silver gates and doors, fine curtains. It was beautiful. One scholar says the Jews regarded the temple as the most holy site in the world's most holy city. The thought of it being destroyed was unbearable. If there was anything in this world that was permanent to them, it was the temple. Do you know you couldn't even speak against the temple? It was a capital crime. If you read about Jesus being on trial, they would constantly bring up what he said about the temple. Because if they could get him guilty about speaking against the temple, they could kill him. That's how seriously they took the temple. And here Jesus said, it's all going to get torn down. Wow. So he had the disciples' interest. 
He had their attention. You see, when you know the end of the story, you see things differently. And now they're no longer looking at the temple thinking, wow. Now they're like, well, how, when is that going to happen? So look at verse 3. In verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see, so now what he's doing is he's giving them an end of the world guide to survival. And the first thing he wants to do is identify what the false alarms are. Before I give you those, I want you to understand that we'll see next week more clearly, but they ask him what's going to be the sign that this initial destruction of the temple is going to happen. But Jesus makes it clear over the next two weeks that in looking at what happened to Israel and Jerusalem in AD 70, how things transpired, how the temple was destroyed, how Israel was destroyed, God uses that. When you look at that, you're looking at a preview of how the whole world's going to end. Okay, do you understand? In other words, Israel, that's one of the functions they have in God's plan. When you look at what God did to and through Israel, you get a preview of what he was going to do to the whole world. And it's the same with the end. So Jesus will make it clear. He's not just talking about a historical event that's about to happen. He does share that. But then by the end of his sermon, he's talking about how heaven and earth are going to pass away. That obviously hasn't happened yet, to my knowledge, right? So understand that what he's sharing applied to them, and it applies to us. It applies to the initial destruction of the temple, and it gives us an idea of how the end is going to come. But first, he wants us to calm down. So check out in verse six, where he said, or verse five, he says, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I'm he, and they will lead many astray. First thing you gotta know, write this down. First false alarm. Don't be duped by lies. Don't be duped by lies. There are going to be people who come and pull the fire alarm and try and get you all worked up. Here I, here I go again. I know the ending and I figured out the code and I'm going to tell you when it's going to happen and you need to follow me if you're going to be safe. And Come on, tell me. Hey, calm down. No, you don't understand. I really know. I've learned some things and I've studied the Bible and say it again. There's going to be people who try and pull the fire alarm and get you wound up and tell you they know when or how it's going to happen. And Jesus is like, don't listen to them. Don't listen to the liars. Don't be duped by lies. In Jesus' day, the people were wild with anticipation for the Messiah. They thought the Messiah was going to come, establish his kingdom, defeat Rome, and rule forever. That's what they thought was going to happen. The thought of a Messiah dying coming back to life and then leaving for thousands of years, that's not the plan they were following. So he had to calm them down. These things are going to take time. There's going to be imposters who show up and say, I'm the one, follow me. And and Jesus is like, don't buy it. That's not the way it's going to happen. He wants to say that this is one of the false alarms that when you see these things happening, I thought he was the one, but then he wasn't the one. Jesus is like, that means it's not the end. When you see that, it's not the end. So chill out. The lesser destruction is going to have false alarms. One of the ways he got them ready is he had to say, chill out and wait. The greater destruction of the world is also going to have false alarms. There's going to be false prophets who come and claim in the name of Christ to be a somebody or know somebody. 
And listen, they're going to lead many astray. Okay, these are going to be pastors, seminary professors, evangelists. These are going to be popular authors who a lot of people like and trust. You're going to see them in stadiums filled with crowds, taking notes. And guess what? Don't listen to them. They're liars. They're leading you astray in the name of Christ. Don't fall for people who try and get you all wound up and paranoid and following conspiracy theories and weird uh, biblical codes. And don't listen to that. You know, throughout our history uh, recently, there have been several, you know, people who have obviously we see as weirdos who have tried to mislead our nation. Maybe you remember Jim Jones. Remember Jim Jones? Uh, back in the 60s and 70s, he founded the People's Temple. Um, and he claimed to be a reincarnation of Jesus and Buddha. It's the two for one. You know, why wouldn't we follow him? He also said he had a vision that there would be a nuclear holocaust in 1967. It's going to happen. Nuclear Holocaust. You've got to follow me and trust me. It's getting all these people wound up and then they follow him and they leave the whole country and go to Guyana. What happens there? There's all this intrigue and finally, November 1978, 909 of his members committed suicide by drinking Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. 300 kids were murdered. Why? Because they followed a fool. Because they followed a liar who claimed to be somebody he wasn't, who claimed to know things that he didn't. David Koresh, more recently, you've heard about him, the leader of the Branch Davidians. He saw it as his God-given job as a messianic figure to set up the Davidic kingdom in Jerusalem. He was going to go to Jerusalem and he thought he might even die as a martyr because he was God's chosen instrument to bring the kingdom back, which is supposed to happen in the end times. You know how that ended? The FBI stormed his ranch in Waco, Texas, and after a fire, 54 adults, 28 children were found dead. He was a liar. He was a fool. He claimed to be something he wasn't. He claimed to know things that he really didn't. You've got to be careful. Even well-meaning Christian authors, maybe you've heard of guys like John Hagee. He wrote a, a book recently called Four Blood Moons. There's going to be these four blood moons and rarely happens. And could it mean that it's the end? And it's going, to, it's going to be something. And you know what? Like on a scale of one to ten, how nervous am I about this? Like point one, you know, like you don't know when it's going to happen. You shouldn't be freaking people out because it's not yet. Hey, don't be duped by lies. Don't be wound up by teachers. That's the first thing Jesus wants us to know. Many people will be led astray. Many. And he says in verse 5, do you see it? See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and they'll lead many astray. Okay, here's the next false alarm. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. Uh, first, don't be duped by lies. Second, write this down. Don't be surprised by wars and natural disasters. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be alarmed. Don't freak out when there's wars and natural disasters. And, you know, when things like this happen, people start to, oh, it must be the end. This is horrible. All life is we know. We've got to stockpile food. We've got to stockpile. Don't be surprised. These things are going to happen. In Jesus' day, the initial fulfillment is it would take 30 or 40 years for his words to happen. In that span of time, there were like three Roman civil wars, not to mention international wars. 
there was almost a Jewish uprising. Oh, here it is. They're going to come and destroy our city. They're going up, and then it didn't happen. Wars, rumors of wars, calm down. False alarm. False alarm. Expect political upheaval. Do you know that Jesus was so honest? Oh, the Messiah came. He entered the world. He rose again. The world's going to be different now. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Wars, earthquakes, famines. It's just going to be life as usual. There's going to be an extended period in which nothing changes visibly. And he doesn't want you to be shocked. And he doesn't want you to freak out. And he doesn't want you to lose hope. I mean, think of the wars that we've seen in the last hundred years. World War I. I mean, the world gets to see, really, in its fullest scale in World War I for the first time, what automatic weapons can do. And when technology is combined with uh, ideologies and the carnage that happens, and then World War II comes along. You know, what happened to the war that was supposed to end all wars? Now we've got this, and you've got a madman who rises up and, and just starts slamming through country after country. And, and you look at the history film and you see millions and millions of people so horrifically treated. And you say, how could we even go on when we're so awful toward each other? And Jesus is like, calm down. It's not the end. It's not the end. Now this is both disheartening because it's like, wait, this stuff is just going to keep going on? Like World War III breaks out? Calm down. Calm down. That's like scary that it's just going to keep happening. But it's also encouraging because Jesus is saying, I'm not going to let that be the end. That's not going to be the end. I get to decide what's going to be the end, and that's not going to be the end. See, it's encouraging when you realize that wars and natural disasters will happen in our history. Hey, you'll even face things in your life that are (laughs) maybe not wars or natural disasters, but you wonder why on earth would God allow this awful, disastrous thing to happen? And he's like, that's not the end. That's not the end. Don't think of that as the end. It can't ruin the ending. Think about natural disasters and earthquakes and tsunamis and floods and starvation and devastation and disease. And and Jesus is like, that's not the end. That's not the end. You see, Christians of all people have to realize that Jesus told us this would happen. We shouldn't expect very much from this life in its current form. See, but then you start asking yourself, well... If he knew that these awful things would happen, why doesn't he's got all authority on heaven and earth? Why doesn't he prevent it from happening, right? I mean, it would be advantageous if he were to push the button that prevented World War II, right? Like just let Hitler choke on a sandwich or something and and, and then it just doesn't happen. What what, what? I don't understand why he says in verse seven, don't be alarmed, this must take place, but the end is not yet. It, like why? Right? Don't you wonder that? Why? Such terrible suffering. And I love what he does. He gives us an answer. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? He says at the tail end of verse 8, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Painful? Yes. Like terribly painful? Yes. But you see, the pain of labor is a different kind of pain because it leads to something new and joyful. You see, you can bear the pain of labor like different pain. Why? Because it's leading to something. It's leading to life being brought. And he, using this comparison, takes all of the pain 
that can befall the world, all the pain that can befall you. And he says it's labor pain. It's leading to something new and joyful. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing when you see the devastation, when when you're touched by it yourself, you can say that's one more contraction that's taking me closer to the birth of eternal life. You see, this is so encouraging when you apply this to how you see history. The the universe, the, the world, creation is basically described as a very pregnant woman. Check this out in Romans 8.22. We'll put it on the screen. It says this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Until now. Oh! Oh, that looks like a bad one. The chart is going crazy. Get away from me. You did this to me. Okay, I'm just trying to help. Remember, you're breathing. I don't want to talk to you. Get out of here. Get out of there. I'm sorry. It's going to be over soon. Just do your best. Shut up. Stop talking to me. This is the world you live in. A very pregnant, angry, groaning woman. But check out Romans 8.21. It says creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's labor pain. It's labor pain. And what a way to redeem the pain of this life. When devastation comes, as awful as tragedies and wars and It's one more contraction leading to the birth of eternal life. There's a joyous new end that all the pain in this world is leading to and nothing can stop it. That's hope. That's hope. Don't be surprised. False alarm, wars, natural disasters, even the tragedy that comes into your life, labor pain. That's not the end. Well, why would he allow it to go on for so long? Okay, so he gives us the warning, false alarm, don't be duped by lies, don't be surprised by wars and natural disasters. Then he kind of gives us the reason why he's allowing it. Check out verse 9. He says in verse 9, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations." And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. What's he saying here? He's given the reason why he's going to let it stay so bad for so long. Because he wants the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. Did you see what he actually said? The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Wow. Write this down. We must bring the gospel to all nations. Why are we left here? Why didn't he just bring us up to heaven? Why didn't he just come back already? Because he's being patient. He wants the gospel to arrive on the shores of every nation so that hope can reach the darkest places. Let me focus on the good news that this shares with us first. The good news is this. The truth about Jesus will arrive in every nation on the planet and nothing can stop it. Are you excited about that? 
Earthquakes, famines, pestilence, hunger, wars, doesn't matter. He says, doesn't matter, not the end, because my gospel will reach every nation. Wow! You know the end. It changes the way you see the story. You have to understand that the Bible consistently, Old Testament and New, says that this will happen. Habakkuk 2.14 says this. We'll put it on the screen. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Hey, it's going to happen and nothing can stop it. Psalm 86.9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Matthew 16.18, Jesus says, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hey, listen, it's unstoppable. Nothing can stop it. It's going to happen. That's great news. The end is already written. It's amazing. Nothing can change it. Matthew 24, 14 says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. The end will come when I say it comes. and It's not coming until my gospel gets to all the nations. Wow. Okay, but are you ready for the bad news? You didn't sound ready. Are you ready for the bad news? The bad news is the world will not embrace the gospel without a fight. And you are God's distribution plan. You're his mailman. You're his FedEx. You're the way he gets the gospel to all the nations. We are. It's the church. The Bible consistently says, how can they hear unless someone tells them? How can someone tell them unless they're sent? It's our job. It's your job. God has put the truth of the gospel in the palm of your hand and he's asked you to go and give it to people. Hey, how are you doing at being a witness for Christ? Do you know in verse 10 he says the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations? Do you know that the gospel is a truth for the world? Do you know that hearing the truth of Jesus and responding to it in faith is the only way anyone can get saved? It's God's plan for the world. Hey, don't let in your heart, don't let there be any other way that you can see people getting saved. Because if you tell yourself, oh, well, they live so far away or they believe so many other things or God will just find a way or they really believe that or, well, they didn't really know. If there's any other way you're leaving open in your mind for people to get saved, it will cut the urgency and you won't feel the need, the desperate need to get this life-changing truth to the ends of the earth. And you'll give people false hope. We have to understand that it's our job to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, and it is the message for the world. It's the only way we can get saved. Understand that we're to be witnesses for Christ's sake. It says in verse 9, be on your guard. They'll deliver you over to councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. You have to understand it's not going to go well. When you tell someone about Christ, their initial reaction is going to be to like kick you in the teeth, and then they'll think about it. Right? He wants you to know this in advance. You have a message that assaults their very being, that confronts their rebellion. They're not going to like you for sharing it. It's going to convict them deeply, and there's going to be spiritual warfare trying to keep them in the dark. And when you share it, you have to be ready to risk any relationship that you hold dear. Are you? You'll be my witnesses. Are you praying for God to save people through your witness? 
Are you praying for the lost people in your life and asking for them to repent and to know the truth about Christ fully? Do you have people, two, three, four people, who you're, pl- you're planning, it's going to happen soon, where you reach out and tell them the truth about Christ, pray that they would get saved? Hey, I dare you this week to go up to somebody you know and say, yeah, my pastor's preaching on how the world's going to end. <laughs> just say that, just say that. And then just wait and watch. What are they going to do? What are they going to say? <laughs> if you tell people you go to church and you like it, that alone is going to shock so many people. Really? You go to church every week, yeah? You like it? Uh-huh. Huh. Invite somebody next week. You see, this week I'm trying to calm, calm you down. Next week, though, I'm going to share some pretty freaky stuff. <laughs> you see, next week Jesus pulls the fire alarm and he's like, when you see these things, freak out because it's close. Okay, but now calm down. You bring them next week, they'll never forget it. You want to know what's encouraging is in verse 11, on what basis can we be confident in our witness? Not in the response, but it says that when they bring you to trial and to deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand. He's talking to people on death row. What you're to say, but say whatever is given to you that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Hey, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, which will never happen in this country yet but worst case scenario they throw you into jail and put you on death row and you're going to appear on trial tomorrow don't worry don't freak out calm down the spirit will speak through you see the spirit speaks through me and through his word but the spirit can also speak through you when you courageously share the truth with someone you love you see that's your confidence that god won't leave you alone he won't leave you alone in persecution and he won't leave you alone when you get to witness to people It's our job individually. He promises to be with us. In fact, in verse 13, he says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Wow. It's not going to go well, but you have to be a faithful witness. We value evangelism in our church, personal evangelism. We value evangelism globally. One of our pillars is sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness, knowing that people need to hear it to get saved. You know, I love giving a praise report from time to time because we're a part of a church planting movement. Uh, the, the name Harvest Bible Chapel is actually on the top of, a, right now, 104 churches in 16 countries worldwide. There's 104 Harvest Bible Chapels somewhere. Um, and praise the Lord that this year alone, six new international harvests have been planted in four countries. Do you know that at the first service, if you add them all up, of those six new churches, uh, there was 2,130 people who attended the first services in those, uh, most of them showing up at our first church in Haiti. Uh, do you know 30 people have already been baptized in these brand new churches that didn't even exist last year? Hey, God's using us to get the gospel to nations around the world. And it's just the beginning. There's four uh, more international churches that are yet to launch this year. Uh, praise God. He's using us and our movement to get the truth out, and to start new, awesome, healthy, life-giving churches. And that's our job. We've got to bring the gospel to all nations. So hey, false alarm, don't be duped by lies. False alarm, don't be surprised when war and natural disasters break out. Why? Because we've got a job to do. We've got to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Since it's going to be so hard, since it's going to take so long, he closes out by saying this. Verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Write this down. Stand firm and you will be saved. Stand firm and you'll be saved. 
Based on what he's saying, you have to endure to the end without giving up, without throwing in the towel, without quitting. You're going to have to stick some things out in this life. You're going to have to simply put your head down and push forward because God's not going to prevent the suffering from entering your life. Hey, is this where you're at right now? Are there some things you're going through right now? Yeah, it's not an earthquake, but it's about the same thing because of what's going on with your health or with your finances or with your marriage. It's like your whole world is shaking. Are you tempted to lose hope, to freak out, to run around like a chicken with your head cut off, like your hair's on fire, thinking God's not in control? Hey, hey, hey! Calm down. Because he's in total control. No one gets to write the end of the story but God. And if you really believe that, you will calm down. If you stand firm, if you hold fast, if you persevere, it shows that you're a true child of God. And you'll be saved. You'll be delivered. He'll get you through it. I love what Luke 21, 17 to 18 says. It's the same sermon. It's the different record of it. He says, Jesus says, You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. I love that. All the earthquakes, all the wars, all the uprising, all the persecution, the betrayal, and, and the suffering, everything this life can throw at you. And in the end, the Christian is portrayed as someone, the, the very world crumbles beneath them, and in the end they stand, and not a hair on their head has been touched. That's eternal. It's indestructible. When you know the end, it changes how you see everything else in the story. When you believe the end, you can have hope to go through anything. Jesus doesn't give you a false hope or promise you paradise here. Your life's not going to be Disneyland. Not this life. He's getting you ready. It's going to be hard. It's going to be catastrophic. But in the end, not a hair on your head will be hurt. It's just labor pain. Life is coming. Nothing can stop it. When you understand the end is already written, you'll take risks. You'll be a witness. You'll go through suffering patiently because you know that's not the end. False alarm, that's not the end of this story. False alarm, that's not the end of this story. You know, I love in our student ministry how high school students are risking. We have several high school students who are getting ready this year to start outreach events in their high schools to get a bunch of their fellow students in the lunchroom or in a wherever, in the gym or whatever, and have some speakers come in and share the gospel in their own high school. We're partnering with an organization called CSP, founded by a guy who's retired. He's supposed to be on the golf course, but he decided he wanted to start this organization and get the gospel into every public school in the country. We did one last year. We're going to try and do four or five this year. These high schoolers are risking their reputation. Okay, they're going to get backlash from the administration and from their fellow students. Why would they do that? Because they trust that the Holy Spirit is going to use them because they trust that God writes the end of the story. Amen? And their courage should inspire us. Their courage should inspire us to go and be witnesses. God's going to guide us through it. We've got to stand firm. We can't lose hope. We can't lose heart. We can't give up. Maybe that's what you needed to hear. Maybe you just need to hear, listen, the story's not over. Whatever it is that you're going through, it's not over. It's not over. This is a false alarm. This is just the labor pain. 
God writes the ending. And nothing in this world and no one in this world can change the end of the story. And the end of your story is set. The end of the story of this world is set. All right, things are being written chapter after chapter, but we know the end. When we know the end, we can go through anything in the middle. Amen? Anything in the middle, because we know God who is faithful. Stand firm and you'll be saved. We've got to bring the gospel to all nations. Don't be surprised by wars, natural disasters, and don't be duped by lies. Hey, next week is going to be an exciting week in the Word. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Jerusalem, Israel, the future, the rapture, the tribulation. No pressure. Thankfully, I figured all of that out, so you'll get all of your questions answered next week. The week after that, we're going to talk about the end of the end and the beginning of eternity. It's going to be a great couple of weeks. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you touched on such an important topic that we all have questions about. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you were willing to be truthful with us. You were willing to be truthful about how this world will treat us. You were willing to be truthful about the suffering that we will face in this life. You were willing, Lord, to show us, even though tragedy will befall us, that's not the end. Thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign. You alone hold the end in your hand. You are the Alpha. You are the Omega. Thank you, Lord, that nothing in this life can ruin your plan for us. Give us hope. Give us hope that all the pain in this life is amounting to new life, something new and joyful that you are bringing in. Thank you for this hope. Thank you for giving us these bookends of all that we endure in this world, showing us it is worth it to stand firm and walk with you. There is no good excuse to give up. We should never walk away. Praise you, Lord. Give us courage to be your witnesses as we know that you're leaving us here in this sin-ridden, broken world so we could save others. Help us, Lord, to reach into the wreckage and pull others to safety. Use us, Lord, in our fear to be your witnesses. We pray, O Lord, your blessing on us in Jesus' name.